Thank you, Rodney, for leading us in our song service today. And thank you, everybody, for really singing out. It's great to worship the Lord with you today. And I want to go ahead and start with this invitation to open your Bibles, to turn to Luke chapter 24. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, I've been putting the text on the PowerPoint. I didn't do that today. I want you to work for it. So open your Bibles, follow along. We're going to walk through this text today. We're going to be uh, try to be obedient to God's Word, be faithful to the text, and let the Bible lead us. Okay, so open, open your Bibles. And if you're using your phone... Resist the temptation to get on Facebook and do other things like that. Give God your attention over the next few minutes as we walk through this, this text. And before, before we begin this sermon, I want to start in prayer because there's some people within our congregation that have heavy hearts right now. Some that have lost loved ones, some that are just struggling with family members who are at home or at the hospital who are really hurting. So if you would, bow your heads and let's go to, to our Father in prayer as we start. Father, we come before you today and we ask, Father, for you to be with us. We know that you are, but we just invite you further into our hearts and into this service as we worship and as we study your word right now. Let your word speak, Father. Your word is powerful. Your word is living and active. So speak to us today through your word. Father, we just want to lift up to you a special request for those within our congregation who are struggling We look at our bulletins and we see certain names that are connected with lives of family units of people that we love. And so we pray for the White family. We lost a good man this week in Troy and we pray that you would comfort their their family and and be with our church as we lost somebody that was a longtime member at this congregation for over 50 years. Father, we pray for others who are struggling and hurting as we look on this prayer list. We want to especially lift up to you right now Misty Frederick, I pray for her healing. I pray that you would help her to recover and have good days and start to see better days each day and be with Royce and the family as they they need comfort as well. And I pray that you would help them during this time. We pray especially for Jack and Paula Hell. Father, with all that they have gone through the last few years, please give them an extra measure of comfort and strength. And so many others that we see on the prayer list, Father, we lift them up to you. Ruby Mathis, Cornelio, Kathy White, Hunter Phillips, and the the stint that he has coming up, this procedure, Lorraine Carpenter, and many others, Father. We are a church family, and we care about one another, and we're called to carry one another's burdens. And I pray that we can do that through prayer and through ministry, and show us how we can bless others. And again, be with us today. Pour into me the gift of preaching and let your spirit lead this lesson today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I titled this lesson, Is Your Heart Burning Within You? And it's not about uh, indigestion. It's not about taking heart-burning medicine or anything like that. I think you'll see why in the text here in just a minute, why I titled it, Is Your Heart Burning Within You? But I just want to go ahead and dive into the text right now. We're going to read verse 13. Through 16 again. I know Matt read the entire thing for us just a few minutes ago. Now, the same day, remember, the same day is Sunday, resurrection day, the day the tomb was found empty. The same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Keep that in mind. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, if you're paying attention, and if you're actually looking at this, there should be some natural intrigue here. There's some strange things going on. First of all, you have these two guys who are leaving Jerusalem, headed towards Emmaus, and we don't know anything about them. And by the way, I say two guys. We don't even know that it's two men. It could be a husband and wife. We know one of them's name is Cleopas, and maybe we can call him Cleo for short, and that's really all we know about them. They weren't a part of the original 12 apostles. We've not heard anything about them until now. And all of a sudden, they come into the scene, and they're leaving Jerusalem. And one question that I have is, why are they leaving? Why are they leaving town? They put all their hope in Jesus. They watched Him die on a cross. So yes, their hopes have been dashed, but they've heard the report from the women that the tomb was found empty, that Jesus' body is not there, and yet they still choose to head out of Dodge. They still choose to leave town. Maybe you can identify with these two disciples here a little bit. Have you ever decided to leave something and you left a little too early? Uh, The one thing I thought of, one example that immediately popped in my mind when I asked myself that question was uh, my senior year, it was 2002, I had received some free tickets to go to a Cowboys game. So me and a few friends went, and just for a disclaimer, we went to church that morning and worshiped, then we went to the Cowboys game, it was a three o'clock game. It was at Texas Stadium, the old stadium, not the new one. So we get there, have to park really far away. We get into the stadium, having a good time, watching the Cowboys play. We get to the fourth quarter. It's 13-0. The Cowboys are losing to the Carolina Panthers. Quincy Carter, does that ring a bell for any of you? Quincy Carter, probably not. He was the quarterback of the Cowboys at that time for maybe just a few games. Cowboys are losing 13-0. It's fourth quarter. What do we do? Well, we talked amongst our friend group, and we just said, let's leave. There's no way the Cowboys are coming back. So instead of sitting here and watching them lose and then getting stuck in traffic, let's just beat the traffic. So we left the stadium. Cowboys are losing 13-0. We're walking this long walk back to our cars. And it's a little bit strange, but people would tailgate and not buy a ticket to the game and just sit in the parking lot and listen to the the game on the radio in the parking lot. So we're passing all these people as we're walking back to our car, and we hear this just really loud celebration. You could hear it from the stadium, which is now kind of far off, but you could also hear it in the parking lot. So we asked somebody, what's going on? They said, the Cowboys just scored. It's now 13-7. to 7. So we looked at each other, and we were like, uh-oh, did we leave too soon? No, nah, there's no way. They probably just got lucky. So we kept walking, and as we got closer to our car... We heard cheering again, we got in the car, we turned on the radio, and the Cowboys late in the fourth quarter had scored again, and they wound up winning 14-13. to And instead of being in that stadium, celebrating with everybody else, we were sitting in our car, listening on the radio. We left too soon. And I was a teenager before iPhones, smartphones, GPS to my knowledge, and on the way home to Greenville from Dallas, I got lost. And I was so mad. I I remember that day vividly. That kind of added a little salt into the wound. We left too early. And you could probably think of plenty of stories of your own where maybe you left a little too early. And these two disciples on this road, they're leaving Jerusalem. They just found out that Jesus' body has gone missing. And they're like, all right, well, oh well, we're leaving. I don't get that. I don't fully understand it. Why not stick around for a little bit and see what might happen? But that's okay, because Jesus can still meet them where they're at. So Jesus shows up. 
But they're kept from recognizing Jesus. That's my next question. Why are they kept from recognizing Jesus? They think he's just some other traveler along the road, and they just start talking to him. But for whatever reason, they don't know it's, it's Jesus. Okay, I knew that I was going to preach on this text a few weeks back. And as I've been preparing, because you know, we'd studied Luke for, since January, so I felt like this was kind of fitting to the outsider's theme that we had going since January. And that's why I chose the text. But last Sunday night, we host a connect group at our house. And then Monday morning, we had our staff meeting, and I led those discussions, and so we discussed through this text. I do that to kind of gather other people's thoughts, use that as a sounding board, and I value their thoughts, and both Connect Group and staff meeting mentioned this television show. Anybody ever seen this, Undercover Boss? I was, I've never really watched it much. We watched about half an episode this week so I could familiarize myself with it, and then I decided I'll just look it up on Wikipedia to tell you about Undercover Boss. You get the idea. The idea is basically you have somebody who's in upper-level management. It's a reality TV show. They're the CEO. They're the owner of the company, whatever it may be, but they take an entry-level job, and they kind of go incognito, and they work with their employees that are actually work for them, but they don't know that it's the boss they're working with. And, and this gives the boss the opportunity to find faults within the company or maybe see if some of the employees are overachieving. Like it's kind of a neat show. It's a neat concept. And so that came up in both Connect Group and staff meeting. Is that what's happening here in Luke 24? Is Jesus doing an undercover boss type of thing? He shows up, he's walking, and he's going to talk with them for quite a while, and they're not going to know that it's Jesus. Well, I'm not real sure if that's what's happening. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But one thing that is true is that there is something different about the resurrected Jesus. You read all of Luke chapter 24. There's kind of a mystery to this. He's, he's the same. He has the scars, but he's different. They don't recognize him right away. He's gone all the way through death and out the other side, and he has this resurrected body, and there's just something that's a little bit different. You read, uh, you know, Adam and his communion thoughts read from John chapter 20, and if you read John chapter 21, something different about Jesus. So I don't know if the disciples have been kept from recognizing Jesus because Jesus prevented that, or if they, they don't recognize Jesus because they just never would have expected this to ever be possible. We could speculate on that for a while, but regardless, here's the scene that's set up. They're walking down the road. Jesus shows up. They don't know that it's Jesus. In verse 17 through 19, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And then the first part of verse 19, Jesus says, What things? Now, I just want you to realize, because you didn't giggle with that at all, that there is some humor in this. And now, I don't know if Jesus is doing the undercover boss thing or if Jesus is messing with him a little bit. It seems like he is. He shows up. They're talking, he can tell there's a buzz in the air, and whatever they're talking about seems really important. And he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? What are y'all talking about? And their response is like, are you living under a rock? How could you not know the things, the events that have taken place in Jerusalem these last few days? Everybody knows about it. Everybody's been talking about it. And here this stranger, who they don't know as Jesus, is like, what things? What are you talking about? I've been reading this book called... Invitation to Retreat, written by Ruth Haley Barton. The book, the basic idea of the book is she 
encourages ministers and other professions to unplug every once in a while, to go on a retreat, to go on a sabbatical, to unplug from the world, slow down, rest your soul, reconnect with God. And in this book, she shares some of her own personal experiences with doing this. And in 2001, she took a spiritual retreat to say goodbye to her family for the week, to go to this retreat center that had no phones, no newspapers, no TV. She completely unplugged from the world for a whole week so that she could be silent before the Lord and reconnect with the Lord. But it just happened to be that it was the week of September 11, 2001. So you can imagine her surprise when she got home, reunited with her family and said, did I miss anything this week? Yes. Yeah. The whole world has changed. She had no idea that these planes had got uh, flying into buildings and our country had been under attack. She didn't know any of it. So you can imagine her surprise when she unplugged from the world and all of a sudden the world has changed. And it's the same impression you get here with these disciples. Jesus is saying, what are you talking about? What's going on? And they're basically saying, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? So they're going to go, go ahead and tell him what happened. They're going to summarize in verse 19 through 24, which I think is funny because they're going to summarize to Jesus the things that have happened to Jesus about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they have seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So these two disciples, these unknown disciples, one of them is named Cleo, we don't know the other one, they're telling Jesus what happened to Jesus, and they don't know that it's Jesus that they're talking to. You get it? You follow me here? And from their perspective, it's like all their hopes were in Jesus as the Messiah, and when they watched him die on the cross, the door was slammed shut. All their hopes were crushed. But on that Sunday morning, when the women come back and say, we went to the tomb, but his body's not there, it's like that door was slightly reopened for them. They thought everything was over, but now all of a sudden that door is slightly being reopened. They do a good job of summarizing the events to Jesus, but look at Jesus' response in verse 25 and 26. He said to them, how foolish you are. It's a pretty strong response. I'm not sure the tone of voice that Jesus used when He said it. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? Now, if you're the two disciples and this guy is a stranger and he seems clueless as to what's going on and then all of a sudden he calls you foolish, you might be thinking, what, what just happened here? So my thought is, why does Jesus call them foolish? Seems kind of like a harsh criticism here. Why would Jesus call them foolish? Well, for one, I think it's because they've showed a lack of faith. In their summary of the events that took place, they said we had hoped. We had hoped that He would be the one. So that means, that kind of indicates that Jesus to them was just some prophet who's let them down. 
Their lack of faith is rooted in their lack of understanding. Jesus has told them, since Luke chapter 9 and verse 22 and beyond, He's told them what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. Three different times in Luke, and probably even more than that, when we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man is going to be handed over, He's going to be flogged, He's going to be beaten, He's going to be rejected, He is going to die, but on the third day He will rise. He's told them that multiple times, but they don't have the ears to hear it. And I don't blame them because nothing like this had ever happened before. I mean, what a a life-changing event. Sometimes we just don't have the ability to hear something, even if it's true. I was thinking about this guy named Philip Simsby. I read this story in a book several years ago. He lived, he was born in the early 19th century. He was born into a world where women died, every one in every six women died at childbirth. So he became a physician, and he dedicated his life to discover why this was happening. And what he discovered was that when doctors would enter the shift, they would go first to the morgue, and they would do autopsies. And they didn't know much about bacteria or germs back then, so after that, without washing their hands, they would go into the delivery room and help deliver babies. And without realizing it, they were infecting Women, and that's why one in every six women were dying at childbirth. So once he figured that out, he realized the simple solution is after you do the autopsy, wash your hands. Just wash your hands with a chlorine solution. So he started uh, sharing this theory with other doctors, and they just laughed at him. They wouldn't listen to him. He even spoke at a pretty big conference one day, and that he explained everything in detail. And he said, kind of his final push was just wash your hands. If you just wash your hands, you'll save lives. And the other physicians, his colleagues, just laughed at him. They wouldn't listen to him. Sometimes it's hard to believe what we're being told, even if it's the truth. And the disciples have been told multiple times what was going to happen when they got to Jerusalem. He's going to die, and then he's going to rise on the third day. But their lack of faith was rooted in their lack of understanding Because something like this had never happened before. They knew in the first century, just like we know in the 21st century, that dead people normally stay dead. That's why we grieve and mourn at funerals, because even though we have this hope of eternal life, there's something sad and final about that. So they know that. When the women in Luke chapter 24, at the beginning of Luke 24, They bring these spices with them to go anoint Jesus' dead body. And it's not like they're saying, hey, just in case he's still there, we'll anoint him. No, they fully expected Jesus' body to be in the tomb. Everybody did. Even though he told them, they couldn't comprehend it. They didn't have the ears to hear because it just seems so far-fetched. It seems so impossible. So what Jesus does next is he takes them on a walk-along Bible study. That's what I'm calling it. And we're told in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. So this probably was the greatest Bible study there's ever been. Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, he walks seven miles with these guys, he opens the Scriptures, all the way from the no, Moses through all the prophets, showing them that everything has been pointing to this. They've been reading the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, through the wrong wrong end of the telescope. But now Jesus is 
connecting the dots for them. He's enlightening them. And they'll never read God's Word the same again. Then before you know it, the seven miles is over. They've arrived in Emmaus in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if He were going farther. I I also think this is kind of funny. It's like Jesus has done all of this, and then all of a sudden He's like, well, see you guys later. And they're like, wait a minute. They urged Him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. At this point, they still don't know that it's Jesus, but they know something special is happening. So they want Jesus to come stay with them, and He does, and they sit down at the table. Now, for those of you who might have been here off and on since January as we study the Gospel of Luke, the table and table fellowship and who you eat with is such an important way that Luke shares the story of Jesus. So many important conversations, teaching moments, healings, confrontations, they all take place while Jesus is at the table whether he's sharing the table with outsiders or he's sharing the table with religious leaders. He sits down at the table now with these two men that he's been traveling with, or man and woman, we don't really know. In verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. They're sharing a meal with the crucified and resurrected Lord, and they don't even know it yet, but in verse 31, then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. I think it's fitting for the way that Luke tells the gospel. That it's at the table. It's at the breaking of the bread. That their eyes are finally open. And they realize it's been Jesus walking with them all along. And then he's just gone just like that. He vanished from their sight. In verse 32, you know, they're left by themselves to kind of discuss their feelings on the situation, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Their hearts were burning within them. That's why from the beginning I told you I titled this lesson, Is Your Heart Burning Within You? As as Jesus taught them God's Word, as He walked with them, their hearts were burning. Something was stirred inside of them. And they knew it. They knew something special was happening, and I hope it's the same for us today. When we open Scriptures in the presence of Jesus, that our hearts are still burning within us. But my question, I come back to the same question, why were they kept from recognizing Jesus? Why this charade? Why the seven-mile journey before their eyes are finally open to see Jesus? Their hearts were burning, they wanted to see Him, so why were they kept from seeing Him? When I want to say something that I said last Easter... And I'm sure that none of you remember it, but I do because I preached it. That Jesus likes to take people through a process. You may not like that too much because when we pray, when we come before the Lord, we just want answers. Give us what we want. We may not say that, but that's what we're thinking. But you read the Gospels, Jesus likes to take people through a process. Rarely, Does He give you exactly what you need or want to hear right away? Because He's got something to teach you. With these two disciples that are walking along the road with Him, He denies them instant access or instant gratification. Instead of just immediately knowing, hey, that's Jesus, awesome, let's celebrate. No, He takes them through the suspense, the unknown. 
He takes them through this whole Bible study, the seven-mile journey, sitting at the table for them pleading Jesus to stay with them. He takes them through that whole process before their eyes are finally open. And here's where Aaron Partlow, our youth minister's example, comes in. So we study this at the staff meeting, and I always tell them, I'm going to try to give credit where credit is due. So Aaron, as we were talking about Jesus taking you through a process, he said, hey, it's like a fresh-baked cookie. If you want to eat a cookie and you're excited about that, you bake them in the oven, there's still a waiting period. When you pull them out of the oven, they're hot. You can't eat them right away because they're too hot, but they'll also crumble in your hands. So what do you have to do? You have to let it sit and settle for a little bit. Right? Everybody say, thank you, Aaron. That's a good, uh, not many people said it, Aaron. But I, I thank you for that. I think it's a good illustration. That's what Jesus doesn't just reveal to them right away what's happening. He takes them through this process through a discovery process, through all the emotions, through the scriptures, and then their eyes are finally open once everything settles. Jesus knows what he's doing. So, back to this idea of an undercover boss. Is that what Jesus is doing? Well, not so much, or at least not like the TV show. He's not trying to walk incognito with them to see if he can find faults. He's not being sneaky. He is being a little sneaky, but he's not being sneaky for maybe the reasons we would think. I think Jesus is incognito. He's undercover boss because he wants to take them through this process. Because without it, they're not going to learn and grow like they need to. I don't know if you're really hearing what I'm saying right now, but this is a tough lesson. But Jesus likes to take us through the process. And if you're in the middle of a process right now, whatever that may mean to you, stay with it. Don't be like these disciples who took off in the opposite direction. Stick with it. Because God is with you as you go through the process, as you go through the pain, as you go through the unknown and the trial, and there might be something that He wants to teach you. There's an opportunity to grow. So once they discover that it's Jesus, you know, we're, we're almost done with this text here in verse 33. Uh, they got up at once and they returned to Jerusalem where they found the 11, because there's 11. Judas is gone now, so instead of 12, there's 11. And the 11 were assembled together. First of all, I like this because they just walked. <coughs> <laughs> they just walked. Sorry, Rodney, I don't have that deep voice like you do, and it's changing. So the, they just walked seven miles to Emmaus. Go through this whole process, discover it's Jesus, and what do they do? They turn around and they go seven miles back. Now for us, that doesn't sound like much because we're used to driving cars and getting places quickly, but they're walking. They're on dusty, dirty roads. They're in sandals, and it's nighttime. I don't know how long it would have taken them, but I can imagine that by the time they arrived back in Jerusalem, their feet were tired, their body was tired, but their adrenaline carried them through. They take a whole round trip, and in a way, the resurrection is like that. You see, Jesus didn't just snap his fingers and instantly there was the resurrection and their celebration, Easter Sunday, wow. No, he had to go through the cross. Jesus himself went through the whole process. He didn't skip the process. And their response in verse 34 to these 11 apostles that they had found gathered together, imagine it's the middle of the night, they said, it is true, the Lord has risen, and the NRSV says, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. I mean, their word right there to the disciples, that is the Easter message. The Lord has risen indeed. 
And then they have a story to share. In verse 35, they told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke the bread. So, it's not that they saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had this experience and kept it to themselves. No, they walked seven miles back because they had a story to share. And the same is true for us today. The point of Easter is not to just come here and celebrate, say, hey, He is risen, amen, let's go eat food and enjoy family time and take pictures. The point of this is to share it with others. If not, then it's just one big happy event that we just kind of keep to ourselves. And these guys go seven miles back because they want to share it with someone. A guy that I've really enjoyed listening to over the years, his name is Monty Cox. Some of you might have heard of him before. He's a Bible professor at Harding University, and for several years, uh, I w- attended a retreat that he, he led the retreat, taught all the lessons. Now, I'll never forget this story he told us one time. They were in like a freshman or sophomore Bible class. He was teaching it. And he said those, they were talking about the life of Christ and the impact of Christ on this world. And he said at the back of the class, there was a student who raised his hand, and he said, you know, if when I die, if I discover that none of this was real, he said, I will not regret having been a Christian. Because he said, it would have made me a, a better husband, a better son, a better father, a better citizen. Now, you might have amen just a little too soon, but Monty said he sat there in silence for a moment. And the class was silent. He responded to that student and he said, do me a favor, and when you get to heaven... Please do not share what you just said to me to the Apostle Paul. He said, if there's ever a chance of somebody getting reamed out in heaven, that would be the time. Because Paul, these two disciples right here, Peter, James, John, any of these apostles who gave up their lives to follow Jesus, they didn't do it just to have a better life or to be a better citizen. They followed Jesus because they were completely convinced and convicted that Jesus was who He said He was that He is the crucified and risen Lord. And they got a chance to see Him. And because of that, they were willing willing to give up the rest of their lives to follow Christ. And for most of them, it led to death, a pretty brutal death. But in their minds, the Lord has risen, the Lord has risen indeed. And that's all that mattered. And that was the beginning of this world-changing event an event that's still changing hearts today. So back to that question. Is your heart burning within you? These two disciples are walking along the road and their hearts are burning within them as Jesus opened the Scriptures to them and eventually opened their eyes. So my final question to you on this Easter Sunday is have you allowed the Lord to open your eyes through Scripture to see the crucified and resurrected Lord? Now the easy answer is, yeah, sure. But really think about it. These guys were faithful people. They knew the Bible. They knew Scriptures. But it wasn't until Jesus opened their eyes to see it. Have you allowed God to open your eyes to see through Scripture the crucified and risen Lord? And if you haven't, or if you're willing, we would love to talk to you about that today. Uh, We're going to offer an invitation here in just a second, and you can come forward. We'll pray for you. You can find one of our elders, and we can talk with you privately. Uh, If you have any need, man, we we would love to help you. We are here for you. We will invite you to stand, and we're going to continue to sing.
Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling.